You're listening to a podcast of the Sunday morning message from Grace Christian Church in the city of Cork on the beautiful south coast of Ireland. We hope and pray that it will be a blessing to you. I'm going to dive straight in. Is that okay? Um, What do we do when life gets messy? Where is God in your life when a mess hits your front door? Perhaps you may or may not know, I like gardening and I really enjoy being outdoors and working with the earth and plants and all that. And we've a load of trees in our garden and only one of them is evergreen. So every October and November, we literally have mountains of leaves all over our garden. And what I do Every autumn, and I was doing it yesterday afternoon, yesterday into the evening, I was collecting up the leaves, and I must have had about 40 wheelbarrow full of leaves that I bought over. And because we live in the country, I just ditch them into the ditch, and they are organic matter. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. But I could tell you that I collect the leaves, because if you leave leaves and they get wet on the lawn, on the grass, the grass rots. I could tell you that. I could say that big mountains of leaves attract insects and mice who like to live there. I could tell you that. Or I could say that I collect and clean up the leaves because they blow in our front door and blow everywhere. But the real truth is, confession is good for the soul, isn't it? I do it because I hate mess. I just don't like mess. I don't like a messy garden. I don't like a messy house. I have to discipline Denise all the time to make sure the place... No, thankfully, my beloved wife is something similar to me. Listen, there's no right or wrong. If you're happy with mess, there's nothing wrong with that. Um, We're all different. But I personally don't like a mess. So I'm cleaning up the garden all the time because I don't like mess. Now, if you're anything like me, I don't know. Is anyone here kind of, maybe most people are in the middle. Anyone here don't like a mess? Go on, it's good for the soul. Oh, gosh. Loads of you. See all the spiritual people with their hands up? Look around. (laughs) Quite a number. I'd say about half of us probably are saying that. The thing about us is we don't like mess in our lives either. We don't like a mess in our relationships. We don't like a mess in our finances or our health, or our spiritual walk. We just don't like mess. So you and I are going to struggle maybe a little bit more than someone who's not so pushed about it. And the thing is, the Bible promises you and me that given that we live in a broken world, there's always going to be a mess somewhere. And maybe the mess is internal because you or I didn't do something or we did something. Or maybe the mess is external. As Michael was saying, the latest scary intervariant or whatever it is. Maybe it's the, like there's always something in the big scheme of things. The financial crash or whatever. There's always some big thing. I grew up when the troubles were in Northern Ireland. The civil war, if you will, up there. And you know, every week I had an aunt. Her name was Auntie Kitty. And Auntie Kitty lived in a mountain down in Dunmanway, didn't really travel beyond Dunmanway ever. And she would tell us every week, there's going to be bombs in Cork next week. Every week, Cork is next. 
Cork is next. And, you know, initially I was going, oh gosh, there's going to be bombs in Cork. But there was never bombs in Cork. Never ever happened. But we were always on the edge of our seat. There's going to be bombs. So there's always a mess going on somewhere. I'm here today to tell you that yes, you will see mess in your life. But hallelujah, we have a way out. And his name is Jesus Christ. I'm going to look at John 3. I'm going to look at four verses. But then I'm going to hop around the place. Are you okay with me hopping? Aren't I very fit for a fellow my age? Aren't I? Okay. I'm going to hop around the place, pull in a few different verses, but I really hope that you can hear perhaps what the Spirit might be saying to us in these interesting times that we live through. So we pray that John 3 would come alive now and feed our souls in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jesus and his disciples went to the River Jordan and they started to baptize there. But John the Baptist was also baptizing near there. And John's disciples said to him, everyone is going to Jesus to get baptized instead of to you. To this John replied, he must increase and I must decrease. Jumping around. Next day when John saw Jesus passing by, he said, look or behold the Lamb of God. And when two of his disciples heard this, they left John and followed Jesus. Looking around, Jesus saw them following and asked, What is it you want? And they answered, Lord, where are you staying? And Jesus said, Come and see. Now I know what you're thinking. You're going, What on earth has this got to do with a mess? Actually, I've been brooding over this verse for about six months. And I just can't not speak about it anymore. We're told in 22 and 23, Jesus and his disciples started baptizing in the River Jordan, just like we were baptizing last week. But John the Baptist was also baptizing there. And if you read into it, you can see that John the Baptist and his guys were just downriver. And then Jesus and his disciples start baptizing just a little upriver. Now, John the Baptist was the first move of God in hundreds of years. Jewish culture would have had an appreciation of what baptism was. It was in their culture, the ritual washing, the symbolism of going fully under the water, just like all our guys last week. Praise God. Wasn't it wonderful? Wasn't it wonderful that we had the sunshine last week instead of the rain? Do you think that was a coincidence? Hallelujah. So why is this a mess? You see, if I was Jesus, this would do my head in. I would approach John and say, Johnny boy, cousin, you can't keep on baptizing because I'm baptizing here now. And John would have said to Jesus, what are you doing coming baptizing up the river? Everybody was, they were flocking out of Jerusalem and all the surrounding towns. And they knew this was of God and they wanted to be right with God. But it was so confusing. 
It was so messy. It was mixed messages that one guy was baptizing here and another guy is just baptizing up there. Why didn't Jesus or why didn't John close one or the other down? Really, why didn't Jesus say to John, time up, John, you said it yourself. I'm the new thing. I'm the Messiah. I'm doing it. You need to stop this because it's really mixed messages and people are all over the place coming out. And guess what? Jesus never did anything about it. He never said to John, close down. He just started baptizing. So we have a mess, really. Now maybe I'm speaking as a pastor here, but I think it's very messy. And what's more is John the Baptist gets this beautiful uh, compliment from his disciples. Everyone is going to Jesus for baptism instead of to you. It's like in your office. Everybody gets a Christmas bonus. Except you. Everybody in your school or in your college class gets an A or passes with honors. Except you. It's one of those hurtful things we do have a bit of the curse of comparison going on. John is a human being. Read further on. I don't have time to go into it today. But we know that John had doubts. He wasn't perfect, far from it. And so he's getting all of this stuff. If I was John, having poured out my life into a ministry, living wild as it were, everything about my life was poured into this ministry, and now the whole ministry is just coming apart. It looks like a mess. What is John's response? What should your response be if life is a mess? Surely it's this. He must increase, and I must decrease. Yeah, but it's a mess. He must increase, and I must decrease. Yeah, but there's a whole load of bills, and you're struggling to pay them. He must increase, I must decrease. But what about this variant? He must increase, and I must decrease. What about all the trouble in the family? He must increase, and I must decrease. Who'll say aloud, amen? amen? Honestly. And I say this without fear of contradiction. This is the way forward. And we don't think of it very often when our lives are in a mess. Actually, if you could actually sum up most of the Christian message in that one sentence, couldn't you? He must increase and I must decrease. If we look at what happened shortly near that time, we're told in verse 35, John said, behold, or look the Lamb of God, John said, and then two of his disciples left him and followed Jesus. It's like John was giving them away. Now, this was part of his ministry. He was to prepare the way, and he knew that, but as a human being, all of the emotions he was feeling, the doubts that crept in, and the Bible tells us about them, John, even though God prepared him for it, just like he's prepared you for this pandemic, and he has, this isn't an accident, just like he's prepared you for your family situation, difficult though it may be, just like he's prepared you for financial situation, you know what? Even though God prepares us, even though we know this is part of the deal, we live in a broken world, stuff doesn't work out right, when it happens, it still impacts us. And you'd be a robot or a liar, and so would I, if we said it doesn't impact us. And John was doing everything right. 
And yes, there was a mess going on. And as a human being, he was struggling. If I could just pause for one second, I love this verse. I just love it because these disciples started following Jesus. And I love when it tells us, looking around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what is it you want? It's very important that we realize this because maybe you're here today and you've recently heard Jesus calling you and you've just taken the first steps to follow him. Remember, Jesus didn't turn around and go, what do you want? Because when you read it, 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 it doesn't tell us that. So it's not, what do you want? He said, what is it you want? Jesus wanted to know where they were coming from. Now, we don't know, did he sense them behind him? Did he hear them? It was outdoors, loads of people around. I would suspect, I can't prove it, but something in the Lord himself knew that there were two genuine people following them. And, and this is what Jesus does today. And he does it to you and me, even if we think everything is a mess. He looks around. He does it at the beginning, and he still does it. And he asks us the question, what is it you want? What is it you want? Now, they came up with a stupid, in my opinion, answer. Where is it you're staying? Duh. Does that make a difference? Where is it you're staying? And what does Jesus do? He shows them where he was staying. But sure, that wasn't what they really wanted at all. You see, we all have a perceived need when we come looking for Jesus, don't we? I'm lonely. I'm sick. I have no meaning in my life. I'm whatever. I need community. I, I, I have a, a gap in my spiritual life. Whatever it is. We all have a perceived need, but the real fulfillment and the real need is Jesus. Amen? And so we come with our perceived needs, and Jesus is a gentleman. He doesn't take that away from them. But what does he do? He shows them where he's staying, and then they start following him. Hallelujah. When we look at this kind of messy situation, we see it all over the Bible. I mean, we're going to be celebrating, as Michael said, the light of the world coming on earth next Sunday in our Christmas carols. Why? Like when Jesus was born, what's the two years in Egypt all about? What a mess. What a mess. Mary, Joseph, Jesus, having to go down to Egypt, it was a mess. And yet God was in it. Yet God was in it. What about Paul, who spoke about Alexander the coppersmith, he said to Timothy, did me much harm. May the Lord repay him for everything he's done. Paul didn't go on a revenge journey. But he gave it over to the Lord and he said, well, I'm giving it to God. And made the Lord repay him. He obviously did him terrible harm, probably from inside a church. Horror of horrors. But it was a mess. But Paul knew how to handle it. You look at King David, probably one of the greatest kings in the Old Testament. Look at his family. One brother rapes the sister. Hello? He rapes the sister. The sister loses her mind because of the rape. And then one of the other brothers kills that brother. And then that same brother tries to kill the father. And you think you've problems in your family? Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. There's problems. It was a mess. And yet David was able to navigate through the trauma, and it's a trauma, by keeping his eyes on the Lord. Even when David came into his calling in life it was a mess read the psalms 
particularly when we read that there was a king called Saul, who was the very first king, and yet Saul made a mess of it, and God wanted David to be the king. Here, look at this in 2 Samuel 3.1. The war between the house of Saul and the house of David lasted a long time. David grew stronger and stronger, while the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. What was going on here? Well, remember, Saul disobeyed God, and the Samuel, the prophet, said, you're not king anymore. David was clearly chosen, and then eventually Saul commits suicide. But you see, the house of Saul, his son and his household, wouldn't accept the change. This is similar to John the Baptist, but John the Baptist dealt with the mess correctly, whereas the house of Saul didn't deal with the mess. They resisted. They resisted. They fought against David. It was a civil war. Why did God allow that to happen? Because through the mess, God changed David. He was able to prepare him. David grew. He constantly learned what it was to rely on God and not on the circumstances. And that's what God wants you and me to do. Would anyone say amen? We rely on Jesus. We don't rely on the circumstances. We keep our eyes on the Lord and not on what's going around us. Amen. The house of Saul grew weaker and weaker in this long war. But the house of David grew stronger and stronger. I, every time I read it, I think of the old King James Version. I love it. The house of Saul waxeth weaker, and the house of David waxeth stronger. Don't know if anyone uses that word anymore. It's almost like Middle English. But this is what happens when you are in a mess. Those, if, 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 if. Your heart is right towards God. If you're hard, if your heart is cold and hard towards God, you could still be coming to church. But maybe you're not in a good place with God. This promise isn't for you. But if your heart is humble before God and you're doing the right thing, the mess that's happening around you will get weaker and weaker. You'll get stronger and stronger. If, if you keep your eyes on Jesus and through the process what's happening you're learning to look up more instead of looking around more. This is what David learned, and this was vital in Scripture. And this is why we've the beautiful poetry and life experience throughout all the Psalms that gives us such guidance and comfort into our lives today. I love this anonymous quote. I can't find the writer. God doesn't allow challenges in our lives to destroy us, but rather to strengthen us. And to help us. Hallelujah. Is there a challenge? Is there a mess somewhere in your life? Probably is. I don't know any human being who doesn't have a mess somewhere. I remember um, Michael and myself were talking and we were just talking about clean houses. And Michael said, you know, even the cleanest of person, and he's right, has a drawer. Or a cupboard. Or a room. Or a car or the upstairs, or somewhere <laughs> that isn't. It's just you dump everything there. Everyone has something like that somewhere. If you don't have a dirty drawer, come to me afterwards and I'll pray the demon of perfection out of you. We, we all have something like that going on. The thing is, on our journey, on our walk with God, when we deal with mess, we learn how to look up and ask him to help us and carry us and bring us through. 
David adapted into the full kingship God had for him. He started out at the age of 23, king of Hebron. It's in the West Bank today. So he was king, kind of half king. And then he had this long civil war. And during that, David matured. The Bible uses the symbolism that his beard began to fully grow. And then at the age of 30, he was ready. And he became king in Jerusalem. That was the journey. If you look into it, it took seven years. And even before the seven years, there was a couple of years as well where Saul was constantly trying to kill him. And David could have killed Saul and he wouldn't because he would not lay hand on God's anointed. You know what? Let God deal with it. You and I don't have to deal with it. So, um, Paul didn't go after Alexander the coppersmith. He didn't go onto Facebook or Instagram and warn everyone about him. No. He said, may the Lord repay him. It's up to God to repay him. Um, a lot of people are calling the pandemic interesting times. And there's an old saying, I think it's Chinese, and it said, I could be wrong, but it's um, a prayer. So maybe it's not Chinese. Anyway, the prayer is, Lord, make sure that I don't live through interesting times. May I live through boring times. <laughs> anyway, you and I are living through interesting times, and we've seen a lot of things happening through the pandemic. I've spoken with so many pastors of churches and ministries all over Ireland, all over America, all over the UK, all over Europe, Australia. It's the same story everywhere. Up to half the people who once were part of a church community, they've drifted. They've either got out of the rhythm, or their hearts have gone cold, or whatever. It's absolutely the same everywhere. It's the same with offices and restaurants. It's just what's happening. Here's a map. I love maps that has haunted me for quite a while. And let me show it to you, I don't know if you can make it out. This is a map of Ireland. And if you can see, these are known as, uh, Republic of Ireland, Ireland's territorial waters. So not only does Ireland or any maritime country have its physical land, it also extends its legal jurisdiction into the seas around it. And that goes up to, I don't know how many, 100 kilometers. But you see all these red dots here? There's one or two inland, but they're mainly around the coast, around our shores and further afield. This is a symbol or the point where 15,000 ships were wrecked in storms over a good few years, um, over the last 50 years, I think it is. 15,000 ships have been wrecked. From what? From storms, from storms. So we live in the North Atlantic, we get a good few storms, and sometimes it's inland on the lakes, but overwhelmingly, these are boats and ships that have sunk because of storms near Ireland. And all of these red little dots are, are representative of where these ships sank. You can see a load around Cork, a load up around Donegal, up the East Coast, right out into the Atlantic. Just think of all the lives lost. Where I live, we're living in a fishing village. There's a plaque up almost on every corner remembering people who died in shipwrecks all over the south coast here of Ireland and people who were rescued. Think of the lives lost. Think of the trauma of the people who did survive a shipwreck. Do you think you'll have a few nightmares about that later on in life? Probably. 
think of all the carnage and the everything, money and, and so on, lost. And as I was thinking about ships that were lost, what about people who were lost? If we were to do a map of Ireland from the last almost two years, and we were to put in a red ribbon, let's say, to remember those whose hearts went cold, to remember those who, because of the storm, because of the mess, the interesting times that we're living through, we remembered those people. I'd say there's probably, around Ireland, about 15,000 people easily that you could say, once they were there, but where are they now? Where are they gone? Maybe you found yourself with a foot in both camps for a while. Why, why is that relevant? Because it's because of a storm. It's because of a mess. What does the Bible say? And Paul says it in 1 Timothy. Hold on to your faith. Not like some who've let it go and made, here we go, shipwreck of their faith. I tell you this, I never, and God is listening, I never want to be one of those red buttons on a map. Do you? How about you say no out loud? We don't want to be one of those. We don't want to be remembered as an almost ran, as someone who once was and then gave up and then lost their faith and then made shipwreck of their faith. And when Paul uses those words, he knew exactly what he was talking about because he himself, on a number of occasions, including in Malta, went through a shipwreck, thought he would die. They all thought they would die. He knew what it was to try and get ashore and to be frozen and wet and in danger and thinking life and death is before you. He knew exactly what shipwreck meant and felt like and what did he do he survived and he wouldn't allow the shipwreck to kill him and he didn't die from shipwreck in the same way spiritually mentally even emotionally we've got to make sure that in the storm you and I are living through we don't become a victim and a shipwreck casualty of what's going on Look at what Jesus said in John 16, 33. In this world, you will have trouble. But take heart, I have overcome the world. Hallelujah. Where is God when your world gets messy? He's right beside you. Where is God when you can't pay the bill, when you feel sick, when your relationships are in trouble? You know what? You just need to look up and open your eyes and he's there. Could Sam, could you come up? When we go through the mess, it's a wonderful opportunity. And I want to suggest this to you before I close. That whatever we're facing in the months ahead, do you think God will have it as an opportunity for you and me to grow? You might say, oh, I don't want to grow. I saw a great tweet from Rick Warren during the week where he said, the times I've grown have always been difficult times. I've never grown through very happy times. But I have grown through difficult times. And you might go, I'm okay with happy. <laughs> but you know, if it is a challenge, it's a wonderful opportunity. And it'll make you and me stronger so that when we're in different times, we'll be well able to enjoy what God has for us. We're going to sing a song. If you could stand to your feet. It's all about how God rescues us and he rescues you and me from the mess. The storm may rage, thousands may fall around you, but Sam tells us it will not affect you. Let's sing the song. Thank you. 
Keith, you can put up the words and then we're going to pray. Who, oh Lord, could save themselves, their own soul to heal. Our same was deeper than the sea. Your grace is deeper still. You alone can rescue, you alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. For you alone belongs the highest praise. You alone can rescue, you alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death. For you alone belongs the highest praise. If there is a mess going on in your life right now, these words are vital for you. You need to keep your eyes on Jesus. You might say, I know that. Do you? Well, you need to be reminded. And if you do need to be reminded, you need God to give you the strength to do it. So I'm going to pray for anyone here who is currently experiencing some kind of a storm. Nobody's looking, but God is looking. Will you lift up your hands where you stand? You're bringing the storm, whatever's going on, whatever kind of a storm it is. Come Holy Spirit. See my brothers, see my sisters, and see the storms that are going on in their lives. I pray now that their eyes would stay open. Who'd say amen? And I pray, God, that they would see your face through the storm. And we ask you, Lord, that as they go through this mess, through this storm, their souls would grow stronger and stronger. And the enemy and his attack would grow weaker and weaker. That we would build up in our souls a resistance, an immunity to that which the enemy would throw against us. And with that immunity, we would be able to get through the mess that is ahead or that is here right now. Come Holy Spirit and rescue us and help us and deliver us in Jesus name and the people of God said I just saw um, a prophetic vision that I'm going to share I don't know who it's for but I know it's for someone here and I saw you outdoors two weeks ago I was walking the beach in my shorts and in my uh, t-shirt but I wouldn't do that today the weather has changed but I saw someone in summer clothing but it's winter summer clothing and winter and you know what we need to know the season God has us in and the Lord is saying he wants to put a big warm coat on you because you're shivering right now spiritually it's really beginning to impact you and you're saying to yourself gosh I don't have the warmth but you've got the warmth of the Holy Spirit that's going to come on you now. So if anyone identifies with that word, where you stand, just lift up your hand. You know you need God's extra blessing, God's extra touch. Can I ask you to just leave your seat and come to the top as we come towards the close? Sam, can you sing the chorus again? You alone can rescue. Let's come up and experience it. Rescue, you alone can save. You alone can lift us from the grave. 
you came down to find us, let us out of debt, for you alone belongs the highest praise. You alone can rescue, you alone can save, you alone can lift us from the grave. You came down to find us, let us out of death, for you alone belongs the highest praise. Can I ask you guys to lift up your hands to Jesus? Uh, there's a scripture that's coming. It could be for all of you or maybe it's for one or two of you. And the scripture is this. In the book of Acts we read they had a bonfire where they burnt their old magic books. This isn't about magic, but what it is about is the way that you thought you could get through life before, you're in a different place right now. And you need to, as it were, make a bonfire in your heart and just burn the way you tried to get through before because God has a better way. He's a new way for you. And you're going to go through the season ahead better equipped. You're going to have that warm coat on you rather than the summer clothes. So let's lift up our hands. Come Holy Spirit into every brother and every sister who's come up here. I pray now Lord Jesus that in their hearts you would send the spark. The spark of your Holy Spirit. And the way we tried to get through it before would burn up. Oh God let the smoke be an aroma in your nostrils right now as my brothers and sisters pray and put aside the old way of trying to getting through these difficulties and we pray now God give each one a personal revelation of the way you want them to go through we know it involves looking at you and keeping our eyes on you rather than our circumstances but we pray now Holy Spirit give them a key to open the door for their situation hallelujah come Holy Spirit grace the Lord would say this to you that this coming week, at night, pray before you go to bed. Read something from the scripture because the Lord would say he is going to reveal that key for you in a dream. You're going to get a dream from the Holy Spirit this coming week. And it's key to your future situation. So I pray over Grace now. And we pray that her nights would be nights where she meditates not just during the day but as David said day and night I meditate on your word may your word go through her dreams may your Holy Spirit give her the symbol the revelation of how to unlock this situation for her come now Holy Spirit in Jesus name we pray amen praise God Will we give these guys a round of applause took a bit of courage to come up God bless you brothers and sisters thank you we're all going into a mad month of December where it's so busy. Let's pray now that God will go before us for the week ahead as we come into December. This is the last day, Sunday of November. We lift our hands before we close. As we go to work or to school or to college.